Welcome back to Dateline New Haven and WNHHFM. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. <clears throat> well, we have an unusual guest today. I'll tell you why he's unusual. In New Haven, every four years we vote in state elections. But we never have anyone on the ballot to vote for, at least since 2006, who actually comes from New Haven. But this year, a New Havener has made it to the ballot at a major party. His name is Eric Russell. He's the Democratic candidate for state treasurer, and he's here in the studio. Hi, Eric. Great to see you. Great to see you, too, Paul. How are you doing? Good. It's been, when were you last here, like three years ago? About that. I believe so. Shortly before COVID. So. You were involved in a lot of Democratic politics, doing law, and people say, you got to interview this guy, Eric, because he's an up-and-comer. You weren't even 30 yet, right? They said this guy's like going to be going places in the party. You didn't have elected office yet. You were like vice chair of the state vice party. Chair. Yep. And now look, you had a crowded field. The state treasurer job came open, and you're you're now in line, possibly, to become one of the constitutional officers of the state of Connecticut. That's right. That's right. I'm excited about the opportunity um, and the opportunity to continue on a lot of the good work that's been done um, and the progress that we're making as a state. So the state treasurer is responsible for overseeing Connecticut's nearly forty five billion dollars in pension and trust assets. Big job. I never understood why it's elected, but I guess it's elected in every state. Do you know why that is? It is, but I, I think it's it's broader than just that role, and I think that that's part of it, right? It's about obviously managing our pension funds. It's about protecting state and municipal employees and teachers and retirees and their pensions. Uh, it's also all of our debt management, so all of our bonding um, and investment around the state, uh, all of our cash management, and then programs like uh, CT Big List and our second injury fund, unclaimed property. So those sheets. I love that word. E S C H E A T S. Do I say it right, or is it S sheets? Yeah, that's right. That's and right. that's like that's like when when no one's touched the bank account for like ten years or whatever. Correct. So and then those money those monies are being held by the state. There's a process, so, and so anyone who is actually interested, there's a website called CT Big List. Um, oh, that's what you go Big on list is. and you okay. plug your your information in, and if there is any. Uh, outstanding assets that you have out there, um, there's a process by which you can receive that back from the state. Okay, so why do you think this needs to be elected? Because there's huge opportunities to, uh, in addition to responsible fiscal management of our state and responsible investment in our pension funds, to really use this office to help people in our state. Um, And that's one thing I have obviously been passionate about for a long time, Um, and I think this is a great opportunity to use this role. Paul, as you know, I, I grew up here in New Haven, working in my parents' small convenience store on Congress Avenue in New Haven, um, watched my parents really sacrifice a lot, and the community I grew up in, people working really hard trying to make ends meet and provide better opportunities for themselves and their families. And uh, I'm excited about, in addition to, again, the responsible fiscal management and and investment in our pension funds, also uh, looking for opportunities to provide uh, economic growth and upward mobility for all of our communities across the state. And I think bringing that real lived experience and perspective to this role in addition to my professional experience and, and career um, that it really uh, lends itself to, to me stepping into this so Specifically, spot. how do you promote economic growth and opportunity through the treasurer's office? And is it how you steer like target investments or other funds that you manage? So it's not just investments. It's, uh, again, the, the breadth of this role is, is significant, right? And so when you think about the treasurer's role, you also sit on dozens of boards and commissions and quasi-public agencies, um, everything from the Connecticut Airport Authority to the Mm. Connecticut Health and Educational Facilities Authority to the Social Equity Council that was just developed. Um, Was that for cannabis? Correct. And so with all of these- They're not doing that great on that, are they? Well, but but the point is that the the role of treasurer, that you have a position to really weigh in on 
And all college of these savings, many things. right? Don't you also run a college Correct. savings so program? The CHEP program is all through the treasurer's office. So, you know, I, I think um, this role often gets framed as being very narrow, I think in part because um, of other folks who may be running for the office that, you know, want to frame it as being aligned directly with their experience. Um, but there isn't a lot of discussion about the much broader responsibilities. I think the other piece is that, um, you know, there are opportunities to weigh in on policy. And as you've seen with Treasurer Wooden, whether it be our divestment, divestment from civilian gun manufacturers to um, advocating for baby bonds, which is a program that is directly designed to really help close the racial and generational wealth gap in the state, um, you as an elected official have an, a platform and you have an opportunity to use your voice to really advocate for things that are important to the overall fiscal health of the state, um, the growing economy, but for really advocating for working people. Eric Russell of New Haven is the Democratic candidate for state treasurer on November 8th. He's here on Dateline New Haven, 103.5 FM. So I guess one issue, Harry Aurora is your opponent. He's a Republican. Correct. And he says he, because he has actually run an investment fund and made state laws, he thought that that is a better resume for the job. And again, you're saying that's too narrowly defining the job is just investing assets, the pension uh, funds and the uh, debt. But even on that question, is he right that we should have someone who's managed an investment fund or do you have experience that's just as relevant? So I think I have the experience, the broad base experience that really uh, best suits me to step into this role. But I think the other thing that's important is I'm not running to be chief investment officer uh, mm. of the state treasury. Uh, I'm running to be treasurer and to set the tone for this office and the overall vision and to make sure that we are moving our state forward and that working people across this state have a voice um, in the treasurer's office. Um, we have a pension uh, fund management group within the office. We have a chief investment officer. We have an investment advisory council. We work with outside investment managers. Um, my 10 years of um, experience in finance representing local and state government, state agencies in financing, uh, working with investors and underwriters and rating agencies really um, allows me to step into this role on day one um, and get to work. And a lot of that experience has been directly through the treasurer's office. So um, what kind of work have you done for towns and state agencies? So um, I am a partner at my law firm in our public and private finance group. And every day I represent municipalities and state agencies, the state of Connecticut, in debt management and financing of critical infrastructure across the state. And um, and I've also done that with state agencies. So projects, whether it be for the Connecticut Airport Authority or for universities and healthcare institutions across the state. Um, I've also, again, represented underwriters and trustees. Um, and a lot of that work has been um, doing many of the things that the treasurer's office is responsible for, maintaining uh, our strong ratings. Um, mm -hmm working with rating agencies. And so, again, this broad-based experience, again, and, and also understanding that there are components of uh, law that come into this role. There are policy components. It's really about combining all of these skill sets and really leading the office and setting the vision. And the so it sounds like you have a two-part answer. Your first answer sounds like if I have you right, I don't want to put words in your That's mouth. Right. <laughs> saying, in my work for 10 years working with towns and, and with state agencies and policy public agencies, actually the same work. You're saying that, like, if you're working with ratings agency, if you're doing underwriting, you're doing bond offerings, that that's actually the work. That is the work of absolutely. And that, but you're also saying it's not all the work. Your chief um, investment officer is actually a position in there. He's crunching the numbers every day. Correct. You need to be a position to be able to analyze that through your experience, but also set a tone and a vision 
for where the office exactly. Is you need to be able to collaborate with um, with leaders and uh, staff within the office and outside um, folks that we bring in as consultants uh, to make the best decision for the state of Connecticut. Um, and my skill set uh, very much uh, lends itself to doing that. Eric Russell, running for treasurer. So one way I think you and he might disagree. Let's see. Is on you, you said it's not just narrowly an investment job. So he says, though I have to ask and get back and make sure I have it right. I said, you know, treasurers in the country now, state treasurers on both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, are looking to create larger goals, right? They want to say we can get best possible returns for our money Absolutely. and have that money work for people. So Republican state treasurers have formed a national organization where they're actually punishing investment firms if they want to mm-hmm. deal with climate change. They've pulled $700 million, just three state treasurers, West Virginia, Louisiana, Arkansas, out of BlackRock, mm-hmm. which is no, like, goody-goody firm. But because they uh, the firm they thought the firm was too focused on environmental issues, Republican state treasurer Idaho and Utah, mm-hmm. they're pressuring um, what they call woke corporations, meaning that they mm-hmm. factor in climate change into investments. Pennsylvania, Arizona, Oklahoma want to thwart the nominations of federal regulators who want to require that banks disclose financial risks of a warming planet. So that's what the conservative Republican treasurers want to do. And then you have embraced the idea of doing progressive goals with investments. You want to steer them toward in-state companies away from corporations responsible for climate change and opioid addiction and um, have a fund established financial assistance for people traveling to Connecticut for abortions and that you want to work with other state treasurers to do that. Is that Aurora said that on both sides that's outside the role? That your his role is to produce so much money in returns that then the legislature, which is supposed to set policy, can accomplish those goals. So uh, I'll address the kind of socially responsible investment and then the safe harbor fund, which was a policy that um, I developed in conjunction with some other folks throughout the campaign. Um, the socially responsible investment piece, I think first and foremost, everyone should understand that the role of treasurer, you have a fiduciary obligation to maximize returns on your investments. Uh, talking about what is, you know, it's called ESG, right? right. So environmental, social governance. Um, it has now become this political football, um, which it had never been. Sort ESG of like has been, social emotional learning. Exactly. Like, well, it's become political football because the right has used it as a talking point. It has also been rejected by um, some outlets that do believe in social responsibility, like The Economist magazine says that ESG ends up not working because they greenwash. Investors, everyone says they're being environmentally, socially responsible, but often those elements of ESG mm-hmm. conflict with each other. So Elon Musk fails on every score of, on the social governance and governance part, mm-hmm. but he's building electric cars. So is he ESG? They thought this should all be broken down. It should just be E for environmental. Well, I think the broader point is ESG has been used for decades. It's just all ESG is about is analyzing risk to your portfolio when you're making investments, understanding okay. that environmental issues and governance issues um, and companies that have bad social practices expose themselves to liabilities, right, that you may take on as an investor. And so um, where it has become more of a political football is, again, I think what you said is – the, the term is being used or thrown around as something that is negative inherently. Funded um, by coal companies and uh, oil companies and, and, who just want to have pressure not to divest. And, and factoring in ESG, the, the response to that isn't just divestment, right? A lot of the opportunity for the treasurer to really make an impact as far as where we are invested is the fact that you have a seat at the table. And that divestment, it really is a last, um, should be the last resort. Um, I think the other thing is when we have divested, 
there's always been a priority to um, the fiduciary priority first. So Treasurer Wooden taking the step to divest from civilian gun manufacturers. There was outside analysis. There was a fiduciary study done before this decision was made, and it was passed then through the legislature, um, understanding that that was not going to be harmful to our portfolio. In other words, he was there to make the case that if we divest from these gun manufacturers, we're not going to lose a penny. Correct. There are and so, investors. And but right now, if you're doing short term, the oil companies are doing quite well. Yeah, but I think the other thing that's important to to remember is that as a pension fund, we are long-term investors. Mm. We are not looking at one or three-year windows of time analyzing that as being um, our overall goal. We are looking for returns on a long-term basis. And so when you think about things like the environment, when you think about things like climate change, knowing where we are going, looking at a strategic plan for how we move away from fossil fuels, understanding that that is probably something – long-term that is going to benefit our pension fund. Um, and so I, to be very clear, my first uh, priority is making sure that we are maximizing returns and we are growing our pension funds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are opportunities in this office, whether it be through the due diligence process, whether it be through our kind of seat at the table with companies that we invest in, um, there's opportunity to make sure that we are driving good social policy. Is it almost now we have to apologize for the way the word liberal became dirty in the 80s? Do you have to apologize for caring about ESG? (laughs) Well, no. I mean, again, I think having your money through this Yeah. And I think as long as we're talking about it in a political cycle where people can use it as something that's negative, that's what you're dealing with. You have to come out there and say, I'm not going to cost it any money. But I think the first, you know, what is first, the first priority is is growing our pension funds. And what about the ESG um, critique coming from the economists that it really should just be E? That it is too easy to have some of these grading groups give points for companies that then do so badly on other scores that yeah. it's a while. Is that just a matter of finding the right? Do you have like a preferred rating group for ESG that you look at? No, I don't. I don't think that. And I think you kind of have to not, uh, analyze this on where you're going. I, but I think if you talk about governance, for instance, if we're investing in emerging markets and you're not going to factor in their uh, their governance policies, um, you are exposing yourself to liability. And so I think it's, again, this is all about mitigating risk to our pensioners. It's not a term that's just about investing in a way that feels good. All right. And Eric and, Russell, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, sir. No, it's just, and just wanted to hit the, um, the safe harbor fund that you mentioned. So that is kind of a separate concept that's less about our investments. It would be under, the proposal would be under the purview of the treasurer's office because the idea is that the funds sitting in that safe harbor fund would be invested by the treasurer. Um, but this was through conversations with legislators, with nonprofit organizations and stakeholders, uh, understanding that right now um, we have a situation where we have anti-choice states across the country where um, women and people can't get access to the reproductive health care that they need. Um, and this would be an opportunity for Connecticut to be a safe harbor in that respect, for there to be resources, understanding that black and brown women, uh, folks from lower socioeconomic status, uh, members of the LGBTQ community are the ones that are going to be most impacted by these laws um, and that we could really we have an opportunity to create a broader network where um, women and patients can go and seek the care that they need safely and compassionately. Eric Russell, um, Aurora, your opponent, also says that the mix of investments is wrong, that he wants to go more 50 percent, I think, for like um, stock and bond what, that aren't the high risk stock and bond. What, what, what's your take on that? So, again, I. For many of the numbers and and bits of information that are being thrown out there from uh, my opponent, I don't know where some of them where some of it is actually coming from. Um, and I know when speaking specifically about the asset allocation, 
that a lot of that information is completely outdated. Um, the Treasurer's oh. Office went through a strategic asset allocation this year. Um, that was, again, done with the Treasurer, with the Chief Investment Officer, with outside advisors, and then ultimately was improved by the, approved by the uh, Investment Advisory Council. And so our asset allocation was recently restructured um, in a way that is meant to, to obviously maximize returns and to benefit our uh, pension portfolio. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know exactly what, you know, he's speaking to, um, but I think that this is something that we need to continue to do regularly is obviously analyze where we are, um, as far as our, our overall allocations, uh, to make sure that we're maximizing return for, uh, our pensioners. Do you have a favorite moment on the trail so far? I mean, it must be weird running for state treasurer because unless I'm wrong, I would guess that most people don't think about state treasurer. I haven't heard like it's your first step. Hey, let me tell you what I'm running for. Yeah, why it matters. Listen, it's it's once people have an idea of what the treasurer is responsible for, um, people take interest because it's a really critical role. Um, and so it's been exciting to kind of inform folks. I think particularly, um, you know, what's been most exciting for me being a younger person running for office, um, being someone who isn't hasn't spent their career in elected office, um, being someone who grew up in New Haven uh, with little means and, you know, really is connected to. I think what a lot of working families in this state are experiencing and going through. Um, it's been really exciting to see um, folks feeling like they're represented and people like someone new and someone they, from yeah, where they're from. Listen, we, you know, um, Sean Scanlon and I, uh, if elected, would be the first millennials elected to statewide office mm. in the state. Um, I think people are excited about seeing um, new leadership stepping up um, and using their voice. Also, understanding that a lot of these issues that we are talking about long term in our state are impacting young folks and young families um, in the state. Um, so, you know, that has been, been really exciting to me. We have a... My generation is horrible about stepping aside and even, and the generation even older than us. Like, I'm a baby, I'm a hey boomer. <laughs> and like, we just don't make room. I mean, people have these jobs for 20, 30 years, you know, for leadership. But and listen, it hurts our community. Listen, we have some people who have been there for a long time too, who are doing incredible work, right? And so, I mean, I think that's what this really comes down like to. Everybody in Congress it, and the... I mean, Biden running against Trump, those are people who are like been in ARP for a quarter century, you know? <laughs> We haven't, but listen, McConnell, it's Pelosi. Yeah. Again, I, I think there's people who have done great work and people feel comfortable with that steady. So you say it needs to be a mix just to have a little, yeah. all voices and, in it. And I'm really fortunate. You know, I, I feel like we're running with an incredible team. Our slate is, is diverse and has a lot of um, different experiences, um, all very competent and capable, um, but ultimately understand what this election is really about. And we've made great progress. I think, you know, in these election cycles, sometimes uh, when there is an, a drive to change leadership. There's, it's done by bashing where we are or ignoring progress that we've made. Um, if you look at obviously running for treasurer, care about our overall fiscal health. And over the last four years, four balanced budgets, we have a full rainy day fund upwards of $3 billion. Um, one of the largest tax cuts in the state's history targeted at working and middle-class families. And we've paid down nearly $6 billion of unfunded pension liability which is huge. It's saving taxpayers upwards of $450 million every year. And it's something that we have kicked the can down the road on for decades and decades and decades. And we're finally in a spot where we're addressing that. We've seen uh, three or four upgrades to our bond rating over the last few years because outside um, folks see that we are getting our fiscal house in order and that we're moving in the right direction and that we have the right controls in place to continue us on that path. Um, and so I'm excited to continue us um, on that journey, understanding that that is what will continue to allow us to invest in education and housing and lowering costs for working people. 
um, in a time where people are really struggling with, you know, global inflation being where it is and, you know, uh, costs being increased. For remind me, there was a milestone you mentioned before that you'd be the first, was it LGBT person of color in a statewide office in the country? What, what was the, what was the milestone? Yeah. So, um, that was brought to our attention. We received the uh, endorsement of the victory fund, which is a national LGBTQ rights organization. Um, and they informed me upon the, the endorsement that I would, if elected, I'd be the first black, um, openly gay statewide elected official in the country's history. How could that um, be? And I know it, but it's, uh, you think back, um, we just had the first black, uh, LGBT member of Congress elected, uh, from years back Jones, in Mondaire, yeah. Mondaire Jones, um, and Richie Torres. So, you know, again, it's, it's a sign of the progress that we have made as a country and as a state, but there's also plenty of work to do. And I, I look forward to the times when that's not a, a headline or something important. Are um, we going backwards on that nationally, or is it just when the arc of, prog- of history bends toward justice, it doesn't bend every minute. It goes back one step when you go ahead three. Is this the real? Because, you know, you talk, you read surveys of young evangelical Christians who might be conservative. Mm-hmm. They're much more open to LGBTQ communities and rights because they know people and it's more in the open. So that's one reason for optimism. But you also look at this backlash now, especially with trans. I mean, Republicans are getting elected on this issue of now. Course. So where, where do you see that issue going in this country? Um, I, I think we're making I think we're making progress. I think we've seen there are more LGBTQ candidates running for office right now than ever before. Um, and but I think part of that is out of necessity, right? It's understanding that there are communities that are under attack, right, and that there's opportunities now to use your voice and to step up and be that advocate for uh, communities like that we need. Um, and so, you know, it's an exciting um, time. I think when you see a lot of progress really quickly, you always see a lot of pushback. And I think that's some of what we're dealing with. And, um, but I think people are going to step for up. For all and- people like me, the Argus is amazing on this because when we were pushing for civil unions just 20 years ago, and that got so much pushback, it didn't seem possible that gay mm-hmm. marriage would be legalized by a conservative Supreme Court. So, yeah, well, and it's, it's important right back. now with the makeup of the Supreme Court and with many of the attacks that we've seen um, to many of the rights that folks have taken for granted for so long. Uh, it's a reminder that we all have an obligation to step up and continue the fight. Um, and this is going to be the tip of the iceberg. I mean, um, the courts have very clearly said where they're going. Um, first, it was a woman's right to choose. It's going to be marriage equality. It's going to be access to contraceptives. You name it. Um, and it was all spelled out. Um, and until we have uh, the right people in elected office who are going to make decisions to actually protect those rights and advocate for people um, who need that support, um, you know, we've we got to keep it up. So, All right, we'll keep it up, Eric Russell. Thanks for joining us on Dateline New Haven today. Eric's the Democratic Party for candidate for state treasurer. First New Havener on a major party ticket since 2006, although Henry Hank Parker was yep. the state treasurer for many years from New Haven, the 60s and 70s, early 80s. Any uh, final word, uh, five-second elevator pitch for... No, you can check out my website, Eric for CT. Um, I think, you know, this is really an important election. It's about getting out there and voting. Um, Feel free to reach out with any questions uh, or to touch base. But I think my experience, my lived experience and perspective, uh, I'm ready to jump into this role and know who I'm advocating for. So um, I look forward to it. Thanks for joining us, Eric Russell. Thank you. Thanks, Harry Droz, for personing the controls. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.